with regard to these uh, evening talks, uh, generally speaking, um, around uh, the evening time, I am searching, um, sometimes rather, somewhat desperately, for a, a topic or a theme to talk about and just about anything will do. Well, this evening I haven't got a title for the talk, but I have got a theme. And perhaps in the course of it a title will uh, emerge, and if so I'll let you know. Um, I would like to speak a little bit about uh, about being free and and at the best some pointers pointers let us say with regard to what this means or refers to and I was to say somewhat rem reminded of this because of uh, an event in a friend of mine uh, life uh, who, this friend Murray, who lives in uh, Totnes, which is eight miles uh, south of here. Totnes is like, uh, what should we say, um, a new age Dallas or <laughs> Coronation Street, riddled with gossip <laughs> and, and um, broken relationships and marriages. People are struggling to make ends meet and in doing all the things that one is supposed to do in the new age and not supposed to do and so a friend of mine who's uh, living here in Murray is a long-standing friend recently went to uh, India he's been um, numerous occasions uh, a bit prior and spent a very useful and valuable period in, in, in India which he uh, uh, loves, loves uh, deeply, um, engaging, shall we say, in spiritual uh, work, in the utter simplicity of living that is required of people who go to India for that kind of work, participating in a retreat in Budgaya, and spending some time with a, a man in the town of uh, Lucknow, a uh, spiritual, what you call, teacher or friend. And as a result of this uh, period of time derived uh, much benefit, seemed from conversations with him, and he's uh, now come uh, back to uh, Totnes. And it um, Reminded, what it reminded me of is the usefulness and the limitations of what we might call being a somewhat overused term, being a seeker. A seeker after truth, a seeker after reality, a seeker after wisdom, after understanding, after liberation. And this activity, peculiar to human beings, 
is one which has gone on from one generation to another of men and women looking into life and sensing through the intimations of life that there is a potential unrealized. And the, allowing this intimation, this sense, this feeling for to, in a way, take a hold in the mind, that person, that man, that woman, begins to find the ways and means to, un should we say, develop that potential, to, to actualize it, to come to greater realizations than what the consciousness in its present condition knows. Now this, as I mentioned, has gone on from one generation to the next. And in that, a whole variety of ways have become established. And one is encouraged to follow the middle way, or the only way, or the different ways, and develop these ways and get in contact with them, because there is the promise, it's explicitly stated or implied, that great fruits are awaiting the mind, which is willing and prepared to sustain its seeking. That real, substantial, life-changing or life-benefiting benefits will emerge out of sustained seeking. Now in that, we start off with a certain kind of assumption. And the very premise which we begin with is the word that somewhere along the way we have to come back and face and deal with. And the premise more or less goes along the line, I don't know, therefore I seek. This is a rephrase of one of those old philosophers who started off with some ridiculous first statement. I don't know, therefore I seek for this, that and the other. And one begins to harness one's life, sometimes almost against one's will, towards fashioning it in a way which spirituality, seeking, inquiry and so forth will be nourished and fed and the renewal will come out of it. And one finds in all of this, and I'm not saying it's a good thing, but one finds in all of this that the more so-called meditation that one does, the more practice that one does, the more that one extends oneself and oneself and commits oneself, it's like one's got had a fix 
And one fix isn't enough. I'm warning you. <laughs> and so one needs another kind of fix. And one gets these fixes. A retreat is a fix. Whether it's a permanent fix, well, mm, uh. and so we find ourselves that it creates, there's a need there, there's a need for some um, renewal, that's the only word that's coming to mind, and a response to it, and generally speaking, in a peculiar way, in spite of all the pain, discomfort, confusion, unsettledness, and so on and so forth, which seem to be so opposite to what one wants. Something happens inside which says, something. there's something valid about it. Something authenticates the difficulty. And the mind and the heart and the, and the body and the will is challenged by it. Challenged by the hard actuality of being with oneself and sticking with it through thick and thin. But it's ne not enough. It's never enough. And so frequently we find two things are occurring in these fixes. One is we look outwardly and the other is we look inwardly. When we're unsure of ourself, which is what produced the seeker in the first place, we look outwardly. And we look around for someone who is going to fix us up. Or we look around in our relationship life for someone who perhaps is not going to say, although some will of course, I am going to fix you up. <laughs> but rather the person will say, here are a number of tools which you can use, which have been used for generation upon generation. They seem to work, they seem to do a reasonably good job, and therefore here are these tools, use these tools, and you'll feel all the better for it. And one might say, say that, I mean, might sound a little bit flippant, but saying, I am, um, but saying that in a generous and warm-hearted way, that one is actually providing. So we might say, therefore, that mindfulness is a tool, posture is a tool, being with the breathing is a tool, slowing down is a tool, silence is a tool, whatever. And these are just a handful of the tools which are available. And similarly, there are ways which are provided, which are not tools as such, but work through the mode of belief. And by participating in certain gatherings, and so on and so forth, there's a belief there, and that belief really changes a person.
the belief that Jesus died to save all of us. We don't know, we can't prove it, we can't disprove it, but if, there's a, if there is the belief there, or that uh, Krishna is uh, ever-present and constantly giving to all the gopis, or whatever, there's, there's a belief there, as well as all the other beliefs. And yet, if one believes in those varying things, it does change consciousness. It can open up the heart, it can bring out of one devotion, love, service, etc., etc. So through the means of observation, and we might say it as a primary way, through the means of uh, belief in something outside of oneself as a primary way, Change comes about in a human being and there's no doubt that that change can be very beneficial. And I think it is foolhardy when human beings dismiss you know, too quickly the power of belief. Belief really affects consciousness. And, the, and what would be the measure for me, anyway, is not the belief, but, like Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. If the belief brings out love, and compassion, and care, and, and warmth, and all, all that, it brings that out. Believe it, believe it. But if it brings out dogmatism, and self-righteousness, and aggression, and, and the concept of hell, and damnation, and, and all of that religious mumbo-jumbo. Discard it. So, when we're speaking of the, of the way, and then there is our relationship to the way, and the important thing is what comes out of it. But still, it's reliance. Still, out of that, there is, in some way or other, the looking towards another for some kind of affirmation, or feedback, or dialogue, or communication or response in some way or other in order to actualize something inside of oneself. And then at times we find ourselves in a quandary and a very important one and not one which is easily dealt with. And the quandary is, I don't find it satisfactory to keep seeking and looking into to another or others for the answers to life, to liberation, to discovery of eternal truth or truths or whatever. Because that's what he says, that's what she says, that's what they say. And, and the other side of this quandary, I don't find it satisfactory to keep looking at myself 
because this is just the way my mind is conditioned, the way that my heart is, is made up. And it seems like going outwardly is not the answer, and, and yet turning inwardly doesn't seem to produce great truths, great liberations. Where the hell am I going to turn? Can't look inwardly, just see movement, activity, coming, going, change, da da da. -da. Can't look outwardly. And so the whole idea of seeking comes under question. Now sometimes we think, because we're often we simply haven't done our homework, haven't done any historical reading of religion, let alone anything else. We think some of the contemporary methods, like catharsis, as an example. It's a nice, fashionable word. People like catharting. Catharting! <laughs> catharting meaning... Um, <laughs> This is, we just had it, that was it. That's, that's cathartic. Some kind of uh, uh, release, uh, you know, if, if one sheds a few tears, that's a catharsis. Really. And sometimes it's much more intense than that, and sometimes it's in the forms of uh, laughter. It's an emotional uh, release, very useful and uh, uh, appropriate and so forth. So we think, oh, this is, this is, more recent. The Christian tradition, which is a tremendous tradition, has centuries of catharsis. Centuries of it. And if one does a little reading of uh, just this area of Devon, there were Christians in the last generations, in the last century, in the centuries before, who would meet together and it wasn't a, a decent meeting unless they were weeping and wailing and crying and catharting in the spirit. The generations and generations of women and men who did nothing but meet in silence. The generations and generations of hermits. And there are still hermits living in England and living all over Europe, the Middle East, the Far East, etc. And we think, oh, either it's new and, and catharsis is just happening. And they used to have Christian groups in this area called the Whalers, you know, because they, you know, make a, uh, a cathartic weekend seem, seem like a children's picnic. <laughs> and we think, oh, that's all new. And, then, and the traditions of the hermits and the people who sought solitude and the, and, and the, and the loneliness, that's all gone by. Nothing in the spiritual life under the sun is new. All these ways and means have been explored and continue to be explored again and again. And when one is familiar with some of the, the texts, the texts of the recorded uh, dialogues, in any of the traditions and the questions and the answers and so forth, 
Just as women and men have been asking the questions to another and to themselves of this generation, one can see the same questions recorded in the Arabic, in the English, in the, in the Greek, in the Chinese, the Tibetan, the Pali, the, Sans, the Sanskrit, etc., etc. So there's been this you know, spiritual life, this ongoing and constant exploration of the questions of life in a way in which the question is coming out of one's whole being. And therefore there's a, a vitality to it. And, and in a way in which if understanding emerges out of that questioning, it changes one's life. And one might say, when understanding comes, when there is understanding out of its spiritual inquiry and exploration, it shows itself as compassion. If its understanding has come, compassion is present. So there is this diversity of beliefs and non-beliefs, form and formless, group and individual, teacher and no teacher, and yet the common denominator has to do with the depth of being and the compassion which comes out of depths of being. Now, one of the things which happens, and I suppose if I may uh, uh, say, that in spiritual life, in relig religious life, just as on these larger levels one has, feels one has heard it all before, similarly on many personal situations too. And I think with our mind we tend to very easily identify, I've mentioned this a couple of times earlier in the retreat, identify with and take up and posit something out of a certain kind of viewpoint with an emotional backing and support to it. And we tend to do this very, very easily with uh, people, with, with individuals. And one of the things which I think is very important and, and to be truly aware, this is very important, to be truly aware of, whenever we make statements about anything or anyone, we're not really saying anything about that person or that place or that subject matter. The words are not actually saying anything about that in, real, in very real terms. The words are only saying about the words. And sometimes it's hard for the mind to digest. We, you take up our language and we describe somebody, or a situation, or an, an event, or an evening, or whatever. 
Let me say with the words, this is how it actually was. This is what happened. It was incredible. It was like this. It was like, like that. And spiritual and religious life is full of do, doing, doing this nonsense. And it's, it's only words about which is coming out of the mind and it's just words occurring. That's all. He doesn't see anything about that. How can the words, you know, these little things that pop out of the mind, these little little constructions, these little verbalizations which pop out of the mouth? or pop onto the paper. How can that say anything about life? And we forget this. And we believe that the words are saying something. So what happens? What happens spiritually? You hear something from somebody else. You read something. You think about something. And this then gets rooted as an idea. It, get, it takes quite a strong hold. I should go here. I should see this person. I should get into this situation, I should, I should participate in this, and then if I do this, and then I do this, it will make me free. <sighs> A myth. A complete myth. And so what happens is that one looks at the possibilities, let us say, for understanding to occur. For there to be liberation, freedom, and the compassion of that. And so one may find, if one is going in the way of mindfulness and observation and inquiry and seeking about five let's say five choices available one of them is meditation one hears about meditation one thinks about meditation one explores meditation and one follows meditation through. And there is a certain form to it. Look, look at our day, it's lots of, full of form. Start to finish. And in the course of the form that one is participating in and experiencing, hopefully, hopefully, there might be a little bit more clarity, a little bit more awareness, 
a little bit less stress, a little bit more self-knowledge and understanding and genuinely in our everyday, conventionally, a little bit more intelligence about living. And that comes out of the observation and out of the willingness that you and I have to look. And we might say, this is, this is our responsibility. If, you're, if we're going to live, then for God's sake, if there is one, let's look at it. Let's look at this experience of living. So meditation is, like catharsis, another fancy word, and another uh, simpler is we're looking, which maybe we should call it looking retreats. <laughs> so that's one, one expression. One might say that if one makes a big fuss about it, that becomes a way, or the way, or one of the ways, or the direct way, or the only way, or whatever according to the degree that one's invested in this as the way. And then one hears that another uh, is simply through listening. One goes to live to Joe or Josephine Bloggs, who lives up the road, or 10,000 miles away, and one says, well, uh, listen there, and out of that will come liberation. Like someone sent me a, a letter a couple, two or three years ago in all seriousness and said, Christopher, please tell your friends that they don't need to do any more meditation. It's too much work. It hurts the knees too much. One has to spend too much time. Just come and have one darshan. Darshan is another fancy word. It means you go and visit somebody. And just come and have one darshan with Mataji. And Mataji will, is giving instant enlightenment. <laughs> so, uh, well, I told my friends... I mean, I was asked to do that, I told them this was... And um, so one or two of them went. I mean, you know, we can imagine the... You know, in our time-conscious culture, the, the, the immediate benefit of just going to visit um, Mataji. <laughs> I would save a lot of travel expenses on the train to Gaia House and other such destitute places. So they went, waiting for the big buzz. Well, they were back on the next retreat. Anyway, <laughs> so sometimes it's revealed through listening. This is this is going to be the vehicle, the the, the way. And another is through reflection. We 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 think about life. It's important to reflect on life and to and to look at our, our values and, and what's significant in life and, and all that's implied in that. So we explore that way. We explore that way. Taking time to, ref to reflect on life, the larger 
life, rather than just, you know, the poor, petty, little um, self-interest life, which is most of what our thoughts are involved in. And then another, another way is through dialogue, through discussion. So again, Joe or Josephine blogs, turns up, this is it. Do you really want liberation? I said, yes, of course I want it. <laughs> one's fed up with one's deep meditations, and one is fed up with listening to the various matages, and masterages, <laughs> and muddledges, and then one goes another. This, this is the form, the dialogue, the questioning, the, the uh, inquiry, the mutual encounter. And then that becomes the way. And everybody, you know, you know waves the, the spiritual flag for this way. <laughs> oh, such a long yawn it is. And then one then goes and then says, no, 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 the texts, the sutras. The real masters, the, 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 the real ones, the, method, the, ones, the ones who are perfect. And so one goes to the texts and, and meditates on, on the text, takes the statements out of the enlightened minds and, and, and contemplates those or whatever. And how easily one gets infused and makes much ado about nothing. And this goes on from one generation to the next. And it doesn't say anything, except perhaps the mind's investing, the mind's taking up, the mind's holding on to, the mind's got a fixation about, the mind's creating something or someone as being special. And where on earth can there be freedom in any of that? It's all a myth. A spiritual myth which has got foisted on human beings from one generation to the next and, and one takes up one position, those four or five which I just mentioned to you, as well as others, and sees it as something special, or someone special. How can the heart and the mind truly flower, truly be flowered, let us say, when it's wrapping itself around something? How is that possible? How can there be any freedom in that? How can there be liberation? How can the how can the rose flower when you when the the, 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 the sunflower flower when when one's wrapped around it and and covering it over with one's 
possessiveness, with one's attachment, with one's clinging, with one's taking up something as being special. So as I say, if I may say, just over the years of this uh, work, spiritual work, they quite regularly, I mean it happens re regularly, I mean several times a year, different ways, different means, different people, different teachings, different styles. Uh, here, um, a great deal of enthusiasm about. And sometimes this is in the form of contemporary therapies, sometimes it's in the form of spirituality, sometimes in the form of teachers and teachings, sometimes in the form of, of meditation, or uh, different places, or scenarios, or whatever. And one hears, hears, it, hears, it, hears it regularly. It doesn't say anything except the mind is moving. And I wonder, where, if, if is it possible for us to simply to, 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 to see all of this? To see this show and this dance and this fuss being made inwardly and, and outwardly and say, just storms in teacups. Pleasurable storms, if it's your favourite tea, and unpleasant storms, but just storms in teacups. Because it seems, it seems to me, that if the mind in any way is positing a way, it's lost. It may not be using the language a way, but it's implying you have to go here, you have to do that, you should do this, etc. That's affirming something. It's making something of a situation. And how can there be real freedom in that? And in seeing that and in Communi communicating that that applies as much as to anything which takes place here. And for rather a very, very sim simple and a, what we might say uh, as being reasonably self-evident is that as I mentioned earlier it goes back onto this basic assumption. The basic assumption being, I am not free, I am like this, I am like that, I don't know, or whatever. And from that 
posture. Which one? Believes in because of a few feelings operating. Taking that up, one then begins to move towards stopping it. Getting rid of this uh, feeling of being limited, trapped, stuck, etc. And once one has that as a view, and it's only a view about oneself, then all of these ways start, historically and contemporary, start becoming very important. And the more that one believes in it, in, one, in this state, the more important these things come to one, to be. Rather, let us say, perhaps, <coughs> being free isn't something which one has to become. Let's not start off with that position. Let's not start off with the position, well, I ought to go and participate in this and do that and be involved in, in this. In order that, in not having to follow all of that through so that we can see whether or not this assumption, this idea about oneself, to, to explore whether that's true in the first place. It might be worthwhile being open to the reality that a human being is free already, regardless of the little movement of mind that takes place. And in that freedom there, that freedom to experience what's going on, that freedom that's there. It rather makes null and void, it seems to me, all idea of putting oneself into a situation. And when we've perhaps had a, just had a good look, and that's what we said about meditation is, at the little events that go on in our mental and physical life, at the uh, different kind of options which show themselves to us as being a way or the way or whatever, 
We've had a, we've had a good a good look at them. And, well, 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 well. And one doesn't get wildly excited about them. And perhaps being free, really being free, is present already. Really free. But in that one can maybe there's opportunity then for heart and mind to uh, laugh a little and be rather playful with life and enjoy it. and participate in the various uh, events and interests and feel concern for the plight of others and respond to all of that not because it's the way to something because one feels really one has any moral or spiritual obligations in any way, but rather that's all there is to do. Laugh and be happy, cry a bit, participate some. Be with others, be alone, <coughs> sit, walk, stand, eat, brush the teeth, make love. The whole idea of seeking and going and getting and finding and discovering and having and realizing and so forth all seems a bit odd doesn't seem much like uh, having much to do with being free being free is being free. And to have to do something to affirm it borders on the bizarre. I have to go and see somebody. 
seemed like to go up to somebody and say, Please, please tell me, is my hand on the end of my arm or not? It's that bizarre. So when we look at the various ways, see all that's involved in expressing all the language with regard to all of that, and may explore all of these. But not fooled by any of it. Not fooled by anyone. That freedom is boundless, is immeasurable. Well, having said that, a title for the talk never did come to mind. <laughs> so, may all beings see into life, see into the nature of things. May all beings look at what is obvious. So let's have a couple of minutes quiet period, shall we?